Pod, 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 Pod. Rugby Pod. Hello and welcome back to the Rugby Pod. I'm Andy Ryan, Big Jim and Gertie are with me as usual. We're going to be speaking with Wasp's Chief Executive Stephen Fawn about how everything's unfolding in Coventry and we'll be looking at all the action on the pitch as well in the URC and the Premiership. Plus we'll be taking a look at Eddie Jones' England squad for the Autumn Nation Series. So settle back, enjoy and make sure you're subscribed on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it. You can work out in it. You can go outside. You can go shopping down in your local wherever. And you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing in the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I dot com slash Simmons. How are you, lads? Jim, you look like you're somewhere different. You're not on holiday, are you? Oh, no, I'm not allowed to say anything. I've been told I've got to wait and not talk about the Anantara. Big shout out to them in Dubai. Talk about it next <laughs> week. It's like a reverse engineering of it, you know? You don't want to say too much, do you? Well, what's going on? No, nothing. No, lads, I'm on holiday. All right, I'm on holiday. There's a lot happening in the world at the minute, and I do feel embarrassed sometimes with going on holiday. I do find myself apologizing, but we've not been on holiday since January. We didn't go anywhere in the summer and we've decided to come away somewhere that's warm. And I don't know why, maybe it's just my personality. I don't like to shout about it. But Andrew, you brought it up and I am happy. I'm I'm happy. Before I went, I got the beard taken off, but the moustache kept. I asked for a rooster. The guy didn't know what I was talking about. Jim, what do you mean? I said a rooster, as in give me a bush moustache and make me look fucking legendary. So we'll be top on a holiday. I look a million dollars. And how was the flight? I want to hear about the flight. Knees around your ears or... Send the kids right and you turn left. Genuinely, if I told you what happened, you'd think, one, I'm lying, and, <laughs> oh, not this not this again. Max spewing everywhere. Max spewing everywhere <laughs> oh, again. No. He has obviously got something about, it must be travel sickness. It's something, I'm bulletproof. I don't get stuff like that. I, I, actually, I'm touching wood everywhere. Is that wood or marble? And that's wood. And it's something that I don't get myself, but every single time, and people who listen to the podcast would have heard me talk about going on holiday a few years ago and he projectile vomited all inside 
his baby carrier all over me, all in my shoes. And on the way back home from holiday last January, he was spewing on the plane and then on the way over. Poor Beck, because I did turn left. But it, on this plane, it was left just to the legroom seats. That was it, solely it. Poor Beck, four kids, nine bags, most of them carrier bags, carries all the kids to their seats because dad can't fit in a normal seat. And she had to deal with Max spewing the R way, the poor thing. So I'm going to take her out for dinner when I get home. Nice, nice. I love the way that you just left her. She's a warrior, isn't she? She Like Beck, I hear the stories. And to everyone listening, Jim and I speak fairly regularly. Your missus is the definition of a fucking hero, isn't she? Her- heroin, I should say. Can you say is that what it is? Imagine being called heroin. Anyway, <laughs> she is amazing. Like she didn't even flinch. So if it's me, I'm feel like I'm blaming her. If my kids are sick, I'm blaming the missus. If the kids are sick like they were, and one of them on the plane again, she ain't even saying anything. Like she's, it's like nothing. And it's a special type of woman. Maybe she has been taken. Maybe she is a heroin. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Goody, you're not on holiday. Big weekend, or what have you been up to? No, not on holiday. Uh, kids are still at school. Obviously, Scottish schools are different to uh, to English schools. But um, no, it was the twins' birthday, so we're actually coming out a day late, aren't we? Uh, normally, the podcast comes out on a Tuesday. We're coming out on a Wednesday this week because A, Jim's on holiday, but B, it was the twins' birthday on Monday. So um, yeah, we spent some family time, had the family over on Sunday, cooked a nice roast chicken on Sunday, actually. I, I gave Pablo the day off, cooked a nice roast chicken for mum and dad and Carolyn's parents and... The twins, uh, I obviously devoured most of it. And then uh, yesterday was their birthday, so Monday was their birthday. Took them out for dinner last night. And how many presents do you get for kids? It's just ridiculous. Yeah, absolute carnage in the house because the twins have turned five. There's presents everywhere. And I cooked a roast chicken, and that was about as fun as it got for me this weekend. Two things then, Andrew, on that. So you've underplayed it there because every single man who listens to this podcast knows the easiest place to be on a birthday party is in the kitchen or at the barbecue, depending on what time of year it is. So don't play this, oh, amazing, I cooked everyone dinner, I did this, I did that. There is no easier place than stood behind the cooker. There ain't, like there ain't one. So I need to tell Pablo to work a bit harder then. He's he's got a too easy job, has he? Well, not if he's cooking your food, no, because he's (laughs) he's there 24 hours a day. Also, you didn't tell the millions of listeners that your partner in Crime Centre... Voice note wishing the twins happy birthday. Would you like to share that with me? Just show how engaged I am with your kids. Yeah, we got a lovely, um, a lovely. Shall I play it? Yeah, play yeah, it. Yeah, play Definitely. it. Go on, play it. Because I'm just, I'm just that kind of guy. Yeah. This was the voice note that young James Hamilton sent to Olivia and Isabella for their fifth birthday. Happy birthday to you, stinky bulldogs, and happy birthday, Isabella and Olivia. Stinky Bulldogs and Helmet. Yeah, amazing. I was touched by that, Jim. Twins' birthday. I played it to them. They know who you are, obviously. And they know that you're actually called the Helmet. So, um, yeah, they loved it. Thank you. Well, I don't know what religion is in your household, but they've had a week-long birthday. So they deserved a birthday voice note <laughs> like that. So you're welcome. Well, Andrew, you did send one back. Thank you very much. Thank you, Jim. Jim is a... Helmet! And there you go, Jim. You are an absolute helmet. Moving on to the rugby then, let's take a look at Eddie Jones' squad that is named for England for the Autumn Nations series. No room for Henry Slade, Elliot Daly or Joe Marchant. Surprised by that, Goody? I'm more surprised, and we'll get on to the individual players, but the one you missed out there, Ben Earl. How is Ben Earl not in the England squad. He's probably been the best player in the Premiership so far this season. 
listen, every time a squad comes out, people will dissect it with their open cloth, with their closed cloth, with their dirty cloth that Jim pulls out his pants. And you always look to who's not picked, right? And first and foremost, the players that aren't picked, you've obviously got no Ben Earl. Danny Kerr's not there as well, who was involved in, in, in the summer. And I think there's no surprise that he's not involved after getting hoiked off. But Elliot Daly and Henry Slade, the centre partnership, obviously, you're looking at what's going to happen. Manu Tuolangi's back in the mix. And you always look at who's not involved. I'll tell you what I am happy with, and Jim will be happy with this. One of our favourite players, Jim's favourite Harlequin, I reckon. Caden Murley's in the mix, isn't he? He's in the squad, finally, after us talking him up for a long time on the podcast. So, listen, there's always players that are missing. I don't get the Elliot Daly one, how he's not in, because he's probably in the form of his life. Even the boys on BT Sport were waxing lyrical about him at the weekend, and rightly so. And there's times when Elliot Daly hasn't been playing very well and was getting picked week in, week out for England. And all of a sudden, he's playing ridiculously well and he doesn't get picked so it's just the Eddie Jones way right well it's easy to look at as you said Gertie who hasn't made it but let's look at the positives because we're going to be covering obviously Wasps coming up shortly so let's just get on a positive note who are you most excited to see in that squad yeah I mean obviously there's some some good youngsters in there the nine battle will be interesting because Jack Van Portfleet was ended the tour in Australia as first choice Ben Youngs comes back into the mix Rafi Quirk who's come back from a long-term injury as flown into action over the last two weeks he's back in the mix as well you know will joseph and henry arundel really exciting players really exciting selections we've got to remember we're a year out from the world cup as well so he's got to blood them pretty quickly the likes of will joseph again he got some time out in australia but you know you've got to back them now haven't you? if you're not picking the likes of elliot daly joe marchant uh, and henry slade who have got decent international experience behind them you've got to stick them in against argentina and japan and sink or swim time with only a year to go to the World Cup. You think about it, there's four autumn games, there's five Six Nations games, and then probably two or three warm-up games pre-World Cup. So you're going to see these players play. Uh, George McGuigan comes in at hooker. Obviously, we saw the the injury to Jamie George. I presume Luke Karansicki will be first choice, but great to see George McGuigan, the try-scoring legend from my old club, Newcastle Falcons, in there. And Jack Willis being back as well. How much game time he gets... Obviously, Tom Curry's a, a you know a, an automatic choice for for Eddie Jones normally at open side or number eight wherever he, he plays. So Jack Willis hopefully will get some game time, but it looks like a good squad. I still can't get my head around Ben Earl not being in it because he's been ridiculous. But Eddie Jones is picking some young players on form, and uh, hopefully we see him you know with ball in hand out wide and not kicking the balls all the time. Even though I do think Farrell should start at ten. Controversial. Jim, your thoughts on the squad? Well. We've got producer Rob on today and he's got a smile from ear to ear like they have in Glasgow. So again, the, the George McGuigan one, especially with the way, no, be, not being horrible to Newcastle, but the fact that they've not played overly well this season. He is a player that 100% deserves to be in the squad on form and of recent form as well. A couple of big ones for me, Val Rapava Ruskin. Big statement I'm about to make here. For me, he is one of the best loose head props in the Prem when he's on form. As in, I always thought he has been, always thought he was. When he was at Worcester, I thought he was unbelievable as well. The Georgian, he's got Georgian in it. Well, he looks like he's got Georgian in him. I think he has. So, hey, if I'm not, I talk a load of shit anyway. But the way that he scrimmages, he must do. One of the best players over the ball in the Prem. So, if they can get him right, and I'm sure him being back in the squad again will be in a mentally right place. Not that he's going to necessarily knock Ellis Genge off. We know that Eddie Jones has had Mako in and out the squad recently and you need an eye you need one eye really, on the World Cup and he's a wicked player so him Hugh Tizard it's going to be up for Hugh Tizard and David Ribbons as well big fan of both of them I think second row is a position England have been weak 
in recent years, apart from Maritoji, since they lost George Cruz, I don't think they've had anyone to come in and fill that void. So Hugh Tizard been carving up, was carving up last year. And we mentioned David Ribbons a couple of weeks on the podcast. He's back from injury and looks wicked as well. So imagine having this embarrassment of riches to choose from. I don't know what I'll do with it, but I'll be a part of it probably. <laughs> <laughs> You're Scottish though, Jim. Well, that's what I mean. From a Scotland perspective, imagine having... Like some of the players that have missed out. That's, I mean, Elliot Daly one for me is just absolutely crazy. And again, I make ridiculous statements. Like a, some people might think me saying Rapava Ruskin is one of the best players in the Prem. I have never, ever seen Elliot Daly playing so well. No, ever. No. Like he is absolutely pheno- sensational at the minute. And the fact that he covers all of the, all of the back three positions and centre... But there we go. It's Eddie Jones, isn't it? What I will say on Val Rapava Ruskin, I agree with you, Jim, completely. If his attitude's right, because sometimes you see his discipline can be poor uh, and he struts around the field as if he's owed something. But when he's on it, my God, he's got proper, proper Georgian strength and he can scrummage to the cowsheds and back. Good ball player. He could be a real asset for us. And what do you mean, Mako only got three weeks because the RFU did the disciplinary and his England games coming up? What do you mean by that, Jim? Hey, the Australians, look what they did with Darcy Swain. I, I don't, well, not that I'm English, but if I was English and McAvoy and Polar, I wouldn't be that bothered. How do you think they'll get on in autumn, Goody? Yeah, I mean, like Eddie Jones spoke about it when he named his squad yesterday, just around, it's like a mini World Cup for us, isn't it? And we've said, you know, we're playing Argentina first, then Japan. That's the two group games to look at. And our two main group games, really, don't want to disrespect the other teams in our group, but they're the defining fixtures of our group games. And then you're into two knockouts against... The New Zealand and then the Springboks. So, yeah, I mean, it all depends on... For, for us, I'm really excited by it. Yeah, there's players missing, but, you know, we went to Australia and did well and, you know, blooded some young players. There's a lot of exciting talent to get behind. Manu's back, you know, Johnny May's back in the mix as well, who the Funky Chicken's going to be clucking everywhere around Twickenham. But I think when you look at it, the acid tests are going to be New Zealand and South Africa and how they rock up after such a long season for them. We've got to remember they're at the back end of their season, but it's mouthwatering getting New Zealand and then South Africa back to back at Twickenham in November to see where you're at off the back of, you know, we've had COVID for a couple of years. We haven't played New Zealand for, can't even remember, three years probably. 2019, wasn't it? Yeah, three years ago at Twickenham and we should have won that game. So really exciting. We don't play New Zealand enough and, you know, for us it's, you know, a massive opportunity to, to make a statement and see where Eddie Jones and his boys are at. Before we move on, what do you guys make of Eddie Jones's comments about the TMOs, failed referees that just can't cut the mustard? He almost said what Goody has been saying about the biscuit tin. Now, Goody's <laughs> changed significantly since he had a beer with Andrew Brace uh, the final in France somewhere. He loves referees now. Before he hated them, and then the French referees started texting him, and all of a sudden, he's a ref himself. Ballsy by Eddie Jones is what I'm saying. Disrespectful, though. Like you say ballsy, I say that's a, it is a bit disrespectful. I think by basically saying that they're failed referees, and some of them look. Lord, at, a goodie's changed. Look at him. Look at him. Well, no, it is like like you, what you've got to say is that they need to work better as a team. I get his angle, and you know Eddie Jones likes to chuck a barb in there, but you're saying it's ballsy because what you're saying I think is, well, they'll be after him now, and they won't make decisions in his favour or whatever possibly. But it's just Eddie Jones being disrespectful again, isn't it? I think it is a shit thing to say. When you look at it like that, if I was a TMO and someone saying that I weren't good enough at my job, which people say many times now, half the time they are probably right. But you are right when you put yourselves in the shoes of the TMO. I mean, the thing is, though, Goody, does he have a point? Like, I can't think, I'm going back through the archives, like the referees 
that are on the pitch, we do see them as TMOs, but do we see that vice versa? Is he being harsh or is it correct? I think I think his point can be valid, but his the way he said it, so like he's saying that the TMOs are failed referees. Like some of them haven't even tried to referee. You know, some of them are ex referees, of course. What do you mean some of them haven't been put on courses? What do you mean they've not even been put on the course? Why are you being horrible? No, but what I'm saying, by saying they're failed referees, just they're, now they're doing that job. What he needs to say is they need to work better as a, as a unit. Now, I'm telling you now, and I do it at home when I watch the games on BT Sport or whatever it's on, you see more. The referees are right in the mix of it, making decisions there and then. As a TMO, you see more from replays, from the widescreen shots, from everything. So what you're saying is they need to get better than their job. And I've 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 berated some of the TMOs on here because they've missed things and they're in the toilet having a poo, they've eaten too many biscuits, whatever, they've got the runs, whatever they are. And I've said it on here. So I'm in favour of, of saying that sometimes the TMOs aren't good enough. But just the way you said it around failed referees who can't cut the mustard ball, the whole thing needs to improve, right? Whether it's refereeing and... You know, I put something out on, on Twitter at the weekend. Adam Leal, who ref the Quinn's Leicester game, new ref in the Premiership. He's been around for a year or so, maybe two years, loaded assistant referee gigs. He hasn't refereed that many games in the Prem. I thought he had a really good game because you didn't really notice him. He made some decisions. He kept the game flowing. And I put it on Twitter and I get all the Quinn's fans coming back to me going, oh, as a Quinn's fan, he was shocking. And that's the debate that we always have, right, around referees because you see it through the eye of your own team. But... Yeah, I mean, Eddie Jones just being Eddie Jones, he needs some press again, doesn't he? Well, we'll come to the off-field situation involving Watson a little bit later. But on the pitch, what do you guys make of the weekend and the Prem? Good again, wasn't it? You look at the games on Saturday especially. You know, obviously the, the West Country derby, Gloucester against Bristol. Bristol have now lost their last three. They got humped by Exeter last week, but they played some really good stuff against Gloucester. Gloucester, how good are they, Jim? I mean, you know, no Mark Atkinson. He's out for a long time, but they... You know, at King's home, they've only played four games this year, Gloucester, compared to some that have played six or even more. And uh, yeah, I mean, they're on fire, aren't they, Gloucester? We're Gloucester fans. I am. I'm a Gloucester fan now. Should we get the Andy Good suite down there or not? <laughs> I don't know if it's going to be open just yet. It might be a few more years. But yeah, Lewis Rees Summit, try saving tackle. His question marks around his defence, not that they're answered. It's very different tackling a man head on, but. His ability to work back just shows the culture in the club. So Don Waldock, defence coach, Ravo, the manager, who doesn't do a lot. But yeah, massive win. And fair play to Bristol's. They rocked up. They were physical. Genji again. It was great. And Geordie Reid, oh my dreadlocks. You look at, I look at Fafter Clerk, right? And you want to smell his hair because it's long, it's lush. And we talked about him last year. You look at Geordie Reid, you don't want to go anywhere near that, do you? No, you don't, no. And he cooked me some burnt sausages Black on the outside, pink on the inside. And he cooked me them on the Ed Slater ride and I was fucking my teeth clattering. I was that fucked. Yeah, he dominated the breakdown. Gloucester were great. Saints-Newcastle, decent game as well. Newcastle came back towards the end, nearly won it. Carreras with a ridiculous try again. Went viral on my social media. Not this about me, but I did want to put some stuff out there for producer Rob because he's not very happy at the minute. I mean, wonderful try. But like you said, Goody, they lost. And they are playing like the All Blacks of years gone by. They're like, they're like, a, like a, a hybrid between Scotland always losing and the All Blacks scoring wonderful tries. There you go. <laughs> Scottish All Blacks, Newcastle. Nice. i tell you what, the Saracens-Bath game, Saracens, again, looked really good. Could have won that game comfortably. Could have been 50, 60 points. But fair play to Bath. We're giving them a bit of stick on here. You're welcome, Bath fans. Ollie Lawrence came on the podcast tearing up trees. Did you see some of his ball handling? He's holding it in one hand. He's just fending people off left, right and centre. Over the Jim Hamilton up the wing, wasn't it? Well, I know all I know, not sticking up for Saracens, they had a few late changes, but Orly Lawrence carved up fair play. And I think they've got themselves a diamond out of 
complete unexpectation. That's a word, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, something like that, Jim. <laughs> Sale looked dominant as well against London Irish on Friday night. It wasn't a great game, but Al Sanderson, they had a piss up on Saturday as well, the Sale boys, but Al Sanderson pretty happy. Played 7-1-7, those boys, going well. And then your favourite team, James, Quinns, not your favourite team, but my favourite team now, Leicester Tigers, back to their best defensively, absolutely physically dominated Quinns. Defence was on point. And even Sir Kevin Sinfield did an interview after the match. And while everyone's looking at their defence going, it was great, it was great. He went, but I'm not happy we gave a few tries away at end. Not good enough. <laughs> so uh, it was their best performance, I think, Leicester this year. But um, to win down at Quick Quinns were blunt, man. Marcus Smith, not at the races. No, and I'm happy that Leicester put up Sir Ke- Kevin Sinfield for the interview because I didn't want to hear any more of Deeks. But we do need to give Brett Deacon... A shout out because he does a lot of the breakdown work. His mum has been on the phone to me saying, you need to speak about Brett in a good way. So one punch Mickey, Brett Deacon is carving up as a coach there. There you go. He's one of the best coaches in the world. Doesn't say much, but when he does, it matters. But all jokes aside, he's been coaching the breakdown. Rafael was outstanding. Deeks is his mentor. And big shout out to you, Brett Deacon. Not that you need a club, mate. You're at the champions. Pay rise. Oh, maybe, maybe. Because there's loads of money in rugby at the minute. (laughs) Well, Wasps called off their game against Exeter at the weekend and confirmed that the club has gone into administration. We can have a chat now with their chief executive, Stephen Vaughan. Thank you very much for coming on the show. Yeah, hi guys. How are you, Vaughan? Obviously, you know, we've known each other for a while. You know Jim as well. Incredibly tough times for anyone involved in the club. How is everyone emotionally? Because as as we've known in the press, 167 people got made redundant yesterday. Tough times for everyone, hey? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, massive emotions yesterday. I was kind of prepared for it, but then I wasn't prepared for it when it all kind of when it all happened. So, yeah, and we forget it's, it's, we talk about the men's rugby, but it's it's also the women's rugby team that are affected. We've got a fantastic netball team as well, and all of the all of the back office and support team as well. You know, you'll know some of the characters. You know, the Dave Bassett's, the Pudsies, the you know, Ali James, the, the medical guy, you know, some of the best in the business. So, yeah, loads of emotions and um, a hell of a lot of tears yesterday. It's not like a normal business, is it? Being in a club, you've been there. You, you, these these people have shared some incredible times together, and the highs and the lows. You know, Premiership um, finals a couple of seasons ago to to you know best men at each other's weddings and 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 godfathers to their, their teammates' kids. So yeah, it was really difficult. Lots of lots of tears, lots of hugs, lots of conversations. Um, so yeah, really really difficult day yesterday. It's it's the most difficult day I've had in my in my working career. And Stephen, it's probably a little bit irrelevant, really, but two questions in one: Who delivered the news? And when that news was delivered, was it that's the end, or was there a genuine hope that something could be salvaged? Yeah, well, I delivered the news as I have throughout. You know, Jim. I, what you know, we'll talk through it in a second. But when you're faced with difficult situations, I think there's, there's there's different ways you can you can be. And I think from the start, I think it was about being honest and and respectful and and, and talking to people like you'd like to be spoken to. So absolutely no lies. Just tell the guys how it is. And you know, even since that difficult news, you know, last night this morning, been inundated with messages from from everybody saying, look, difficult. And I was sore yesterday. I was angry yesterday. I was upset yesterday. But thanks. Thank you for, for, for just being upfront and honest with us. So, um, so yeah, I delivered the news. I had uh, some people there from FRP who are advisors who, who effectively gave the, the important regulatory advice and what happens now and what form you fill in for this and, and all that good stuff. And then to answer the other part of your question, it was really honest. It was that, you know, I think it's the third time now in, in 10 days or a couple of weeks since I've addressed the group, plus emails and everything else. But 
and it was effectively uh, nobody came forward with an offer for or the rugby part of the business or the sports part of the business, the rugby and the netball. Whilst we still have other options around the venue part of the business, which is very profitable in its own in its own kind of skin, nobody came forward with enough for the rugby. So as of yesterday, the message I was giving was that effectively, you know, everybody in that room was no longer employed, made redundant. And then obviously lots of questions fell out of that. Was it a final conversation? Not necessarily. And as we spoke through, we talked about the fact that, I mean, just, just today, fellas, you know, I've been at, I've been in, in meetings today with other interested parties and, and I'm going to do the same on Thursday. Um, so there are still conversations ongoing there. Whilst we're in administration, we can still pull this around. But, um, you know, what I obviously said to the guys is it's got to that point now where, you know, we would love you to give us a little bit of time to get something over the line with a, with a like-minded group of people that have got wasps at the, at the, at the very core of what they're about. However, if you have other offers, you've got families, you've got, you know, you've got your livelihoods and everything else in front of you. We're not saying stop on our behalf, but what we are saying, if you can hold those offers out without losing them, then there may be something there, but we can't promise. So it wasn't final, Jim, but I think the guys are, uh, you know, they're they're intelligent boys and and girls. And I think... um, they know that we've had a lot of time to get this done and we'll keep going until until we're told not to. But yeah, I think a lot of people saw it as, as the end, but obviously we're working hard for that not to be the case. And just from your perspective, and, and our listeners, Stephen, won't know, but personally, I know that obviously, you know, you've been made redundant yourself as well. Now, yeah. we've been through the whole Worcester scenario. We've talked about it on here. We've had Ollie Lawrence and Steve Diamond on here talking about it, where they had real issues with how it was managed, the whole situation from the owners. And that's all been out in the press and whatever. But from your perspective, you're delivering the news yourself. And equally, you know, you're feeling pretty sad and and frustrated yourself because you're in the same position as you're delivering the news. Now, you've obviously gone out to all the lads and and spoken in in depth to them collectively over the last few weeks and a number of times. But what were some of the questions they were asking? Because equally, it's, it's the same questions that you'd have personally yourself as the CEO who's just been made redundant too. Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, yeah, look, I, I have a view on how these things should be handled. And, you know, and, and, and I just wanted to handle what I could and manage and control in the way that I'd want to be spoken to. What were the questions? Lots of questions. You know, what happens next? You know, a lot of things clearly around, are we getting paid this month? What does redundancy mean? You know, some of our South African players, you know, take Vincent Cock, for example. I know you know Vinnie well, uh, Jim. Love, you know, what a lovely guy but hasn't played for us yet, sat there saying, well, I've got a 90-day visa now, what, what do I do next? Don't get me wrong, I know we won't be shy of, of offers, but there was everything there. You know, the academy lads, can we still live in the academy house? Can we still use a gym here while we're looking for the clubs? If we want to stay in the championship next year with Wasps, can we sign now, go somewhere else and come back? All the way through to, can, can we use the, 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 the facility to get together next week so we can all just get together for a social? Is there going to be any more communications from us or, or is that it now? And, and, and afterwards, we, we hung around for a long time afterwards and there were many, many more questions. So people coming, not everybody wants to speak in a group of 150 people. Uh, so a lot of people came to us, you know, the medical guys might have come over and said, you know, uh, what do we do about the medical archives? You know, who, where do they go now? What do we do about the players that, that are injured if they're going to another club or, you know, the RPA, we had three guys from the RPA there as well. You know, Mark Lambert, you'll know, and, and Luke was there as well. And, and one of the other guys, plenty of advice there. We had financial people there from FRP giving advice on, on redundancy, etc. So 
I'd like to think we did it as well as we could and we answered as much as we could. And we're going to keep that dialogue going. And then until late last night, myself, Lee Blackett, Dave Bassett, Matt Everard, Chris Holland, uh, we sat around the table chewing the fat about what the future could look like in the championship, what those budgets could look like, the personnel, um, et cetera, assuming that we can get something over the line. And um, this is not rose tinted in any way, shape or form. And I mean this, but... You know, if we can find somebody to get behind us and we are in the championship next season, I'm very pragmatic about it. This business financially has been broken for a long time, a long time. And no matter what we've done over the last few years, which has been record breaking commercial deals and Coventry City coming back in, Coventry Building Society Arena coming in to do the stadium naming rights, you know, getting to the premiership final, cutting four million pounds off the off, off, off the wage bill. Yet everything that we've done pretty much in any other club would have set us right for 10 years. Honestly, for te- if I was back at Gloucester, we could forget about worrying about budgets for 10 years. But unfortunately, you know, Wasps, and I, I kind of knew looking in, it was it was losing money every year, but I didn't quite understand the severity of it until I put my, my head under the bonnet. And now we've had to change what we've done on match days, you know, and we get a lot of stick from supporters going, we used to have these huge fan villages, we used to have face painters, we used to have this, and why don't we have Willie LaRue anymore and, and, and you know, the George Smiths of this world and the, you know, the, 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 um, you know, the Willie LaRue's and the, the Curtly Beals. And guess what? The world changed. And, and, you know, when I came in, my MO was clearly to take things back, peel it back, stop giving away free tickets, you know, rein in the marketing and cut the costs and, and, and improve the revenue, which we did. But unfortunately, the, the, the debt pile was so massive it made no difference, literally made no difference. So that's really sad and disappointing. But if it means we go to the championship and we start again with the, the core group that are there now, you know, maybe win, maybe win the championship in year one and come back with a different group, with a different ownership, you know, is that the worst thing? In 155 years plus of Wasps, Saracens have been down, Northampton have been down, Newcastle have been down, Quinns have been down, it happens. So I think, um, you know, we can we can get the violins out and feel sorry for ourselves. Yeah, we've been made redundant. I've been made redundant, but there are worse people often than what we are at the moment. And if we can keep this group together, having a having a, a trip to Jersey next year, you know, might not be the worst thing in the world. Where is Derek Richardson in all this? And is he taking accountability? When you look at what happened with Saracens, I know it's a separate story. He basically fell on the sword and it stopped at his door. We've been talking about Worcester and the owners of the club and how the club was run. If we're speaking frankly, it'd probably be more difficult for Goody because he has a closer affiliation to Derek. I don't, I've met him once, but all the stuff was said about the Worcester owners, everything that was said about Nigel Ray, about the way that the business of the club was run. And there's a few different articles out there and you might actually talk about some of the bits when you answer this question. Was he at the meeting yesterday as a club owner and has he taken full accountability for what's happened? Um, you know, it's difficult to, to, to talk about individuals. You know, Derek has been at the, the club a lot longer than I have. And, you know, I believe that, you know, he saved the club back in the day, to be fair to him. Brought them up to Coventry, into a new arena. Franchise models are difficult by nature to, uh, to, to prove to work. Again, you know, without... Sound like a politician. I have a view on, on on how leaders should interact at times like this, especially in times like this. Derek is in a situation where I think the venue is extremely important to him, and the the business of the venue is obviously profitable, and it's potentially an easier sell than the rugby. I think he'd be the first to admit that he probably hasn't been as close to the rugby as he, he had in the in the years where we, I guess, we were challenging and, and spending as much, if not more than anybody else, for, for those periods of time. He did turn up yesterday, actually. Um, he didn't 
he didn't present or, or speak or anything. He, he sat he sat in the uh, in the room. Yeah, you know, Derek Derek's been here for a long time and, he, and he, he's invested in the club and he made it very clear a little while ago that he wasn't going to do that anymore. And obviously that becomes problematic uh, for an organisation like ours with such depth that if, if your owner isn't going to, to, to effectively act as a guarantor, then you're you're relying on trading. And I don't need to tell you about what COVID did to, to organisations. It is what it is. Um, you know, Derek's his own person and, and he'll, he'll, he'll work his way through this and hopefully he'll get a venue sale and he'll, and he'll be happy about what his, um, you know, what his kind of legacy looks like. Yeah, I think I'll leave it there. And then in terms of, obviously, the business itself, now all rugby clubs are different. Some own their stadiums, some don't. Obviously, with, with Wasps, there's different businesses within the Wasp holding group. And we talked about the netball, you know, they're all redundant as well, the women's rugby as well as the men's rugby. How have we got to this point where there is such a an asset in terms of the venue, yet ultimately the rugby club is you know separated from that effectively now and, and people are just interested in buying the, the the venue itself which you know you're saying openly is, is pretty profitable but the rugby is is certainly not yeah well i mean look, the, the model makes sense so if you think it's not rocket science the model is you have a venue which you know lots of conferences and events and exhibitions and Rugby League World Cup this week, uh, Commonwealth Games recently. We've got you know, Harry Styles, Arctic Monkeys. It's a, it's a great venue. Brilliant. You've been there a million times. Fantastic venue. Really, really fantastic. Great part of the world. Council, great supporters. So you bring a rugby club in there then. So the excess from the, the venue pays for the sports business and it goes round and round and round. That's fine in, in, in the normal world. But I think if you just go back into history a little bit, when, they, uh, when the organisation decided to take a bond out, six or seven years ago, um, it immediately put a £35 million debt onto the business. Then you add on all of the other debts over the years, whether it's um, pre-COVID or not. Uh, you've, you've seen the numbers. You know, if you, if you, if you count um, kind of Derek's loans in there as well, it's, it's over £100 million. I, th- I think, unfortunately, you know, and it would take a minor miracle to, to have sorted that problem out. And don't get me wrong, you know, before we got into COVID, I came in and you know, I had to do a lot of changes around the playing department. Di went and a lot of his staff went and Lee came in. We made it to the final. Things were starting to go well. We, we, we broke even for six months, which is the first time in the club's history we've ever done it, proving that the model works. However, the, the, the noose around the neck was, was this huge debt pile from over the years. And I used to look outside in at, at Wasps when I was at Gloucester and think, gee, how on earth are they doing this and making those enormous losses every single year? whilst kind of professing to be the biggest club in Europe or the richest team in the world or wherever it was. And it used to get our back up a little bit, the other clubs. We're thinking, it's okay saying you're the biggest club in the world, but you're losing an absolute fortune, you know. So effectively, that's rolled on and rolled on and rolled on. The question around why the two of that to be split, 18 months ago, we went to, to refinance the bond and we were doing quite well, lots and lots of interest. COVID kicked in, the whole banking model went down the tubes, everybody backed out and it became quite obvious through that process that everybody wanted to, 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 to buy the venue. Very profitable and all the other things I spoke to you about. But unless you're a real rugby nut, you know, and a real philanthropist around the game itself, or wasps, there was nobody interested in, in, in the sporting side, purely based on the numbers. And I think COVID scared everybody because they realised that as soon as that kicked in, that all the sports business just shut down immediately and, and had to take on more debt with Sport England and everybody else. So as the process went through, we actually got led down the aisle by a, by a, by a large high street bank and we, the bond was going to be done. They backed out literally, they, they jilted us on the altar. And that kind of kick-started the impact of where we are now. And then what's happened since then, 
with the advisory group and, and, and the administration, it's kind of become fairly obvious. You know, if you're the ownership group, for example, and you're the, you're the board at ACL, which is Arena Coventry Limited, that there is still a, a good prospect and a lot of excitement with people financially backing the venue because it's extremely profitable and it's got a great covenant and, and it's backed by the council and all that good stuff. Whereas the rugby piece clearly is more niche and there aren't many people around. If there were people out there with, with fortunes who just were into rugby, we would have found them by now, I can guarantee you, guarantee you. So that's why they, they've they been split to give the, the, the venue the best opportunity of being able to salvage something. Wasps has gone into administration. It had to go into administration because by nature, administration takes away a lump of the debt. So therefore it becomes more attractive. So since it went into administration yesterday, it's allowed us to have different conversations with different organisations. So, um, so that's why they were split. And where are the powers that be? I say the powers that be. The powers that be that people think are the powers that be. It doesn't seem like there seems to be one. The governance is absolutely shot. Where are the PRL? Where are the RFU? The people that you'd expect to look to. It just seems like it's been absolute carnage in the Prem. Since it started, it just seems like it's a complete shit show, Stephen. Look, I think first first things first, I'll give Simon Massey-Taylor some credit because he's, at least he's stood up and fronted it up. You know, he's jumped in front of people. Very difficult for him because... You know, you guys know the model. I've spoke about this publicly a million times. When I came into rugby 10, 11 years ago, I was astonished at the setup that owners could just rule the roost and just completely, the investor group, that if they don't like something, they can, they can just vote it out, irrespective of whether it's good for the game or not. So that's the first thing. And I've always been talking about an NFL-style commissioner. We need Simon Massey-Taylor or somebody else in there who's got some teeth who's got the authority and the accountability to make decisions on behalf of the group. Until then, it's potluck. You know, if you've got enough, it was a bit like the um, salary cap every time it rises or the the embargo on players. Remember that the, the, when we were in the middle of COVID and, and the clubs wanted to re-sign all their players, so we all had to. You couldn't run a business like that in, all, in the real world, but because it's archaic in its setup, it's the same as it was 20 years ago, that's the fundamental problem. So I do have sympathy for, for, for Simon and They've been as helpful as they can be. They have rules and regulations. I know people have thrown them under the bus about give us the P shares. And you know, the way I see it and the way people I work with is, you know, we've got to make a decision at some stage. Is it more important to say, no, you can't have the P shares because if we did that for you, then we'd have to do it to other people. And three clubs could go out of business next week and say, we want the P shares. You know, we've gone into administration and it kind of upsets everybody. I get, I get that. But that's also versus the backdrop of Worcester have just gone out of business. Five minutes up the road in the West Midlands, you know, a, a massive brand like Worcester have now gone out of business. By the way, we know the reasons for it and it's, and it's been long coming. But for the good of the game, is there another option here where we say, look, that is the rules, but we've got to do something here. Uh, we've got to at least allow, allow, allow the organisation to buy those P shares back. Don't take them off the clubs if they get back up because it makes it less attractive to investors coming in. So... It becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. The RFU have been quieter, without a shadow of a doubt. Uh, we've been dealing with their regulatory and legal people, and they're all very competent. You know, they'll point you to rule 5.4.1 means you can't do this. Rule 3.8 means you can't do this. And we're suspended for this, and we're not suspended for that. Again, difficult for them. They're dealing with what they're dealing with. What we would have loved, I guess, was around, around the table with everybody to, to kind of try and talk about it with the human emotional side as well. And, you know, we even threw Mark Rigby at them last week to try to, to get some hearts and minds changed. But everybody will fall back on regulations. And, you know, it's kind of noticeable now that, um, and again, I'm not blaming Simon for this because he's been dealt a difficult hand, but 
You know, five minutes ago, 14 clubs was the answer. Now a couple of clubs are in trouble. 10 clubs is the answer. And so I don't believe that that's a strategic direction. I believe it's what they're, where they are now and it feels like the right thing to say. Having said that, could 10 and 10 be a good, good solution? I think if it's run by the same governance model, like in France, where you've actually got some decent, you know, five or six decent teams in, the, in that second tier with a chance of getting up and exciting. Yeah, but if it's just one team winning it every year, there's, there's, there's probably no point to be quite frank. But I don't want to throw them under the bus because they've got their own jobs to do. It's concerning, I guess, that somebody couldn't really grab it by the, the kahunas at this point from one of the governing bodies to say, look, this is wrong now. We need to do something about this and we need to change what we've been doing for the last hundred years uh, to make a difference because people's livelihoods, I worry about the community game in the area. My, my, my seven-year-old lad plays at Bromsgrove on a Sunday morning and who's he aspiring to go and play for now? There's nobody in the area. So I think there's a much wider impact than just, you know, that club doesn't like it. So uh, you can't do it. So that's disappointing. But what you don't, nobody likes is the blame game. And effectively, the business model didn't work. We know the rules. I don't want to appear bitter because it isn't the RFU and PRL's fault that Wasps has ended up like this. It's other people's fault and it's poor decisions and it's and it's an insatiable appetite for debt over the years or whatever it might be, despite the best efforts of everybody else. So, yes, I think they could have done more, but I don't think we should be pointing fingers at this point. And just on that, obviously, you talked about the business model then. The business model is pretty similar for every club and it's basically a benefactor or a group of benefactors servicing the debt or filling that black hole and Jim and I have spoken about this on at length obviously the wages went through the roof over the last sort of six seven eight years what is the business model that needs to change and how does it change to make this game sustainable whether you're a wasps in the future or you know a, a Northampton Saints at the minute whoever they are they've all got similar issues right Absolutely. And, and, you know, honestly, but for the grace of God, it, it was what it was to it was wasp to be, you know, there are, there are others it could be very soon. And um, as you know, you, you, you may have Steve Lansdowne as your owner. You, you have no issues, do you? Quite frankly, you've got one of the richest men in Britain and, and, and there are no issues. But guess what? There aren't that many of those people around now. So, you know, people have taken on huge debt over the years and, and COVID has, has, has accelerated those problems. And there are a number of clubs up for sale. Yeah, I'm not going to talk about them, but there are a number of clubs up for sale uh, as well. You, you even saw Mick Crossan this week saying, somebody come and take it off me. I don't want it anymore. Just carry it on and, and you can have the peace shares. I don't care. So that's not a very healthy kind of sentence, is it really, when somebody's saying things like that? So what needs to change? Economics would suggest that clubs are spending more than, than their income that's coming in. Very simple. You know, if the income coming in doesn't outstrip the, your outgoings, you have to rely on a benefactor. The issue we have with that is we've got a lot of investor fatigue at the moment, which quite simply, owners are at a point where a lot of them are, are rich guys, but not high net worth, super rich guys like you get in football. And I think most of them will, will kind of see a million quid a year or two million quid a year max. But when it starts to get four, five, six, it's not, it's no fun anymore for these people. And they think about their own families and their own um, stockpiling, etc. So what needs to change in the, in the short term, clearly in the short term, is that costs need to be managed. We also need much better commercial deals for, from, from the central uh, revenue perspective. And that this is where the issue becomes, because CVC obviously now take a quarter of all of the distributions from all of the clubs. So obviously the, the owners took a nice chunk of cash the other year, gave away a quarter of the business, and now the, 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 obviously the distribution has three quarters of what it was. That's your first problem. You then have, obviously, the big dangly distribution uh, is the television deal. 
at the last TV deal, you know, it was another BT Sport doing another kind of rollover of their deal. Didn't get any better. Whereas we look at our French counterparts, their, their, their deals are three or four times what ours are and their, their audiences are enormous. Um, so it's a bit chicken and egg there. We need a much better television deal. We need better overseas media rights. We need to get on top of the whole, you know, kind of uh, you know, electronic marketing of, of Premiership Rugby around the world. We've got to grow the eyeballs and we've got to grow that bottom line number coming in because without that, it still relies on the, the benefactors to come in. So to, to quite frankly, the difficulty is that we just don't have that, that right balance. You're going to have teams with very, very well-off owners that will just play money and play money, but just to win things all the way through. And the difficulty is, it's very easy to say to a team, just don't invest any more then. Don't do it. It doesn't matter what Saracens or Harlequins or Leicester or Gloucester do. Just don't invest any more. Take three or four million off your wage bill. But then the issues come then. Your, your crowds dwindle massively. Players don't want to come anymore. You end up paying more for players because there's a, there's a premium to join your club. So, you know, you kind of have to compete to a certain level. And what's the point of being in bloody sport if you're not anyway, by the way? Because pe- people can see quite you know, straight through that straight away. So there's a fundamental model issue. But still, as we are, and I talked about this ownership model, even though clubs like Worcester and Wasps and others are in, are in financial difficulties, there are four or five clubs that aren't. And they just want to plough on and plough on and plough on. And whilst they do that, you can't get unanimous decisions across the line. So it just makes it even worse. So go back to the the fundamental issue of the model. It's broken and it needs changing. What role did Saracens play in overinflating the costs for other clubs and players? It's hard to say, really. I think if you look at Saracen, I'm not, I'm not, we're not, not here to flog Saracens. They, they did what they did and they, they, they took their penalty. I mean, a lot of Saracens players, if you think about it, remained at Saracens. An unbelievable pool talent, clearly. But um, it'd be very difficult to say what role did Saracens play. It was hard at the time. I, mean, I was at Gloucester at the time and we got to a semi-final against Saracens and we, we, we had our pants pulled down. But I remember watching that game at the time and we, we all knew the rumours and everything else. But I spoke to David Humphreys after the game and, you know, we tried our best. We got beat, can't remember the score. I remember on the day Saracens, I don't know how many internationals they had, but it was a full team of internationals and they had two British lines on the bench and another bunch of... I remember then thinking, wow, just no idea, no idea how, how, how that happened. And of course, at the time, we were more upset about the fact that if it had been found out earlier, who knows, that could have been Gloucester winning the Premiership that year and, and, and life could have changed changed at King's Home. And I know Wasps were affected the season before. So I don't think we really ponder too much about, you know, what Saracen's done in terms of inflating the cap. I think it really comes down to certain club owners who, and by the way, I have some sympathy. So if you're um, Bristol and you've been out of the Premiership for a long time and you've got... You know, by the grace of God, you've got a Bristolian there who's got bags of cash and your objective is to, is to win the Premiership and to, and, to, and to be a Heineken Cup winning team. I, I completely get that. I absolutely get that. Why wouldn't you want to be? We want to be beating Leinster, don't we? We want to be beating Racing and, uh, you know, and, and Toulouse and those teams. And I'd be very proud of an Exeter or a Saracens doing that. But fundamentally, the model can't just be about buying the trophy. I love watching, you know... Uh, Saracens game versus Exeter and the grudge match against Harlequins. I think it's fantastic and I love the best talent in the world, the Mari Toges, etc., the Marcus Smith being in this country. We wouldn't want those players to go and that marquee player is very important. But I think the reality is the Saracens thing's come and gone and and, and it is what it is. Fundamentally, I don't think Nigel Ray's a bad person. I think his heart's in the right place. He did the wrong thing. Mark McCall's a top guy. Joe Shaw's a top guy. 
a bunch of good guys and they've done what they've done. You know, not the first team to do something wrong, uh, but I don't think it's had a fundamental difference this far on. And I don't think that could be blamed. I think it's more around the, the, the club owners have had the ability to keep stretching the, the spend uh, at a point where it doesn't match the income coming in. And, and, and it's been there for everybody to see. Uh, they've known what income's coming in, but still chosen to uh, put a budget there, which is over and above what people can afford. Yeah. Genuine question then, because this has all accelerated, hasn't it, really, over the last couple of years, but over the last few months. What is the fucking point of a Heineken Champions Cup now? I mean, really, when you look at it, the whole thing, and this is only my belief, but the likes of a Saracens, for example, let's just use them because we spoke about them, gave themselves an opportunity, for however we look at that. It doesn't matter, we don't need to go over old ground. At what point, or at any given Saturday, Sunday, or Friday night, does a Prem team now compete in a competition littered with no salary caps and 14, 15 million pound salary caps? I mean, what is the point, do you think, in all this, Stephen, of that? It's, it's interesting. We... um. We played Munster last year in our Heineken Cup group. So we beat Toulouse. We went to Munster. Now, between Toulouse and Munster, I think I've got this right, we played Saracens away, Exeter at home and Quinns away, I think. I'm probably wrong. Someone's going to tell me now. I've got that completely wrong. But anyway, three really hard games. Sail away. I can't remember what it was. We'd lost, I don't know, Joe Launchbury, Jack Willis, Tom Willis. We'd lost a rake of players. You know, we had a tight head on the bench covering loose head. You know, blah, 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 blah. And the week after, I think we were away a to whoever, Gloucester, I can't remember. And I sat down with the uh, the CEO and the chairman at Munster just before the game, having a bite to eat. And he said, Jesus Christ, you've got a funny teammate today, haven't you? I said, well, to be quite frank with you, you know, we've lost half the team to injury. We've just gone away to whoever it was and Quinns had got a win or something else. Three hamstrings, an ACL, two concussions, whatever else. And he just explained to me how none of their international players had played for don't know how many weeks. They got a little bit of a run out for 30 minutes just to get them a bit match shot. They were, you know, ready to go, full noise, every single player ready to ready to rock. We got hammered, you know, type of thing. And we were also keeping our eye on the game next week, thinking we need to rest. If it's 50-50, we'll rest them for next week. And sadly, Jim, that's where it's got to. That's where it's got to. I think because of the structure of our league and... Almost the strength of our league is its competitiveness. Some amazing games at the weekend. You know, Bath probably should have beat Gloucester. Let's be frank, Gloucester's more gets some out of trouble and away. But Bath looking loads better. You know, Quinn's game, you know, fantastic game every bloody week. It's like a Rocky film, isn't it? You know, um, watching, the, watching the Premiership. And I think that's also our detriment in Europe. Sadly, lots of teams make a choice after about round two of the Heineken Cup. Have we got a couple of wins yet? Okay, well, we'll crack on and go. If you've maybe lost a couple, you know, you're in a, you're in a poll with Leinster and, and, and you know, whoever, to lose it, whatever it might be, you have to make a call about, you know, what's going on because you know you're going to be coming up against teams who've been rested, ready to go, full of internationals and probably spent three times your budget. And it doesn't mean that you've given up and everybody loves European rugby. But um, honestly, if I speak to your average Gloucester supporter, Wasp, Quinns, Bath, Leicester supporter, and I know this from speaking to the other CEOs, the attendances for Heineken Cup matches, which always used to be through the roof, are a lot lower than the Gallagher Premiership now yeah. because people aren't stupid. They get it. They know that there's a chance we're going to go for it. But do you know what? If we lose the first couple, we're probably not. So um, I, I share, you, I share you, 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 your concerns, but it's not going to change overnight. And Leinster aren't going to change their model because you know, we've got a compelling league. And this is why I said earlier, having a salary cap at a certain level, there, I think there are four or five objectives of the Premiership. One is to have a, a competitive model. Two is, you know, to, to effectively make sure that everybody, you know, can compete and 
you know, the, the lowest club's got a chance of beating the top club. But the, the other one is about, you know, trying to win in Europe because it's good for the, for the game. So I have a lot of sympathy for the counter view of mine. My, my view at the minute is, is around making sure that everybody can play rugby. And we've got teams dotted all around the country for kids to get involved with and supporters to, 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 to interact with. But equally, if I'm sitting there in Exeter or Harlequins or Leicester, I probably don't care what Steve Vaughan thinks because we're yesterday's news. They just want to win the bloody Heineken Cup. So therefore, they'll do everything that they can to get the best squad that they can and keep going back to it. But as far as the model is concerned, it allows them to do that to a point. But will it allow them on a regular basis to compete with the teams that are spending two or three times more than them? Well, of course it won't. So um, you know, there's, there's no surprise that the... Uh, the English teams uh, are not competing in Europe like they used. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the, the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear. Especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear. That is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it. You can work out in it. You can go outside. You can go shopping down in your local wherever. And you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing in the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viore.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I dot com slash Simmons. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. And just on that, you mentioned Munster there, and obviously their model over in Ireland is the IRFU uh, centrally contracting a certain number of players and all the money comes down to Munster and Leinster from the RFU. It's a, obviously a pyramid system. Jim's mentioned it on here before, three or four years ago now, about cent- central contracts just being around the corner. Well, four years is a fucking long corner, Jim, let me tell you. But the RFU, have they got any sort of interest in centrally contracting players and you know, helping the clubs out in that sense? Whereas actually, if you do that and they take a load off it, you can each club can obviously promote their own youngsters and, and pay those guys. And then you've got the internationals coming for the European games just as much as that. Is that a model that can work now? Or is that something that the RFU are looking at? I think if there's ever a time to have that conversation, it's now. I'm a big advocate of, you know, if something isn't working, stop and just see what we can do as a group of people. I would like to think that, the, you know, the, the, the people involved, the Conor O'Shea's, the Bill Sweeney's can start reaching out now and saying, look, you know, central contract. I, I, I actually believe central contracts are a good thing. There's an element of you that it's 
you know, for example, I don't know, you pick a, you pick a cricketer who's on a central contract. How many times does he get seen at Edgbaston or at Headingley or wherever else? That That is hard, a problem. You know, you, if Saracens have got Mara Toji, they want to play him. And, uh, you know, you, you've got to be mindful. But it will mean that, the, in my opinion, that the model works better because you can bring through more and more of the young English homegrown players as well. There's been nothing mooted at the moment about that. But, yeah, I do think it's definitely worth throwing into the mix and having a conversation about, I think there's a lot of clubs that would, would welcome that at the moment, you know, with regards to allowing them to take some of the slack off, off the, off the cost line effectively for that, for that particular season and those players. Stephen, there's been some chat about a merger with London Irish. Is there any truth to that? No, none whatsoever. Would you be open to a merger? I know everything's on the table, but Worcester's down the road, for example. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, I mean, I'm out of, I'm, I'm not in work, so um, I've got a, an interview at Costa at six o'clock, so I can't hang about. But um, I don't think the merge, the merge idea would work, to be quite frank. There's a number of reasons for it. Of course, you'd be open. It won't happen with Wasps. We've got a a very specific period of time to get something done. We would never be able to merge in that specific period of time. So uh, I don't see any mergers happening. Too complicated, too complex. Academy boundaries, ownership groups, P-shares. I'd hate to be a naysayer, but I just don't see that happening. Thanks, mate. And in terms of what you said then around, we've got a, a period of time where we can find a solution you know you obviously ask the players to obviously take contracts if they can there's obviously a lot of interest around the premiership for a number of players this and Wasps have got some unbelievable players in that squad how do they manage that you know other clubs are up to the, mm. the salary cap spend are they obviously you want to keep as many of them together if there is a rebirth of Wasps uh, after this sort of administration how are you handling that as a as a CEO that's obviously not employed anymore without sounding like a bloody martyr um, I'm going to work FOC until if Wasps had a heartbeat, until that stops, I'm, I'm just going to do what I can, irrespective. It sounds a bit corny and cheesy, but I could work in a different environment and earn fortunes versus what I earn in sport. But sport gets in your veins and Wasps has got in my veins, you know, the, the legends, the former players group, the, the supporters. And it's almost a bit of a um, certain factions in Coventry haven't really taken to Wasps, let's just put it mildly. It almost makes you feel a little bit that Mourinho uh, piece where you go, well, well, Sod you lot, we're gonna, we're gonna, and it brings you closer, and you're, you're much more of a family and, and united. Yeah, I'm just gonna do what I can whilst I'm still able to try and get as many people. I've been speaking to some high net worths today. Other other conversations on going on Thursday. I've been keeping the the, the coaching group Lee, Lee up to speed and Dave Bassett and what's going on. They're aware. They're coming in with us on Thursday as well. We've kept the gym open. And um, but to answer your question, yeah, speaking to the boys yesterday very openly. You know, I won't tell you the names because it's not right, but good international, high-quality players that probably get, get a game anywhere. And I'm sure they wouldn't mind me saying this, but at the moment, because of the salary cap and because of the market, this isn't going to surprise you, some of the deals that are being offered out there are, are unbelievably low for very, very good players. And I mean very good players. You know, I was a bunch of lads all in tears yesterday and we, we, we were speaking about it. And these are very seasoned pros and internationals and... You know, and I said, well, anything, anything in the, in in the offing, if nothing off offers here, and some of the stuff they were telling me was 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 nigh on scandalous. It's not the, the other club's fault. There's two things, isn't there? One, they haven't got much money in the cap, and 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 B, they're in a position where, you know, they know that it's it's a buyer's market. So yeah, we've been speaking openly about the offers, either here, France, Japan, and we'll do anything that we can. You know, I've had directors of rugby from other clubs phone me about our players, and it's the weirdest feeling, especially our young players. I don't know how to explain. It's probably, it feels a bit like you're you know, watching somebody else sleep with your wife, you know, because you've <laughs> yeah. invested in these players. You've, you've, you've signed them. You've, you've scouted them. 
especially the young lads who've come through the system. And then a director of rugby, no fault of theirs, phones me up and says, uh, what's X like, you know, and how much is he getting paid at the minute? Clearly I won't tell them that bit. Yeah, it's, it was killing me yesterday, absolutely killing me. Because you think, no, they're what's players. They deserve to be here and they want to be here. And, and by God, do the boys want to be here? And some of these internationals, by the way, who I thought in my head would just say, that's it then, we're off now, we're going to bugger off. Inundated, you know, please let me know as soon as you can. Even if it's in the championship, we want to stay, you know. So, and that would be an emotional play for them. I also think their agents have been looking in the market and have probably said as well, guys, look, you know, it, it ain't what you think it is. There's, there's not a lot out there, especially if you want to stay in this country. What percentage of their worth are they getting offered? Like, let's say if you've got a 500 grand player, like what, what, what ridiculous salaries are they getting offered in the market at the moment? Yeah. We don't have any £500,000 players. Um, trust me, we used to, we don't anymore. Look, I, I, I don't really want to go there. They're all they're all different, but, you know, I spoke to at least three or four players yesterday who were getting offered less than half of what they're being paid now. You know, it may be the first line of negotiation and all the rest of it, but, you know, I often get asked, you know, is it is it the players' fault? Do they get paid too much, you know, for, for doing what they do? And do they need to take pay cuts and all the rest of it? I'll, I'll tell you now, players do not get paid too much. It is a brutal sport. You boys know better than I do, you know, and the amount of injuries and, and their head knocks they're going through. It's a short career. Yeah, you might earn three, four hundred thousand pounds, but not for 10 years, you don't. Generally, you earn it for two contracts, maybe. And I've got absolute nothing but admiration for our lads. And as I said to them yesterday, if they can go and get a better deal somewhere else, go. You know, go. We really want you to stay, but you, you, know, you don't owe us anything now. Got very surprised yesterday how emotional they were, how much they love being at Wasps and they don't want to go. But then when I found out some of the offers out there for them, wow. Yes, yeah, it's, it's hard for them. And finally then, mate, from me, obviously, you know, there's a number of things going on. There's the arena that's being looked at to be sold from other people, just from a Wasp perspective, you know, and you've been CEO there for a while of the whole company. But if someone comes in and, and buys the arena, is there any covenants on there that say if Wasps manage to get investment and come back, they're going to play at the arena? What's the future of the actual rugby club itself? Because there is a chance, from my understanding, that whoever buys it may say we don't want the rugby club there anymore what would happen in that scenario and just for our wasp fans and listeners can you give them any reassurance of of what could happen and best case scenario i suppose so all of the offers that we've had in the proviso has always been that even if it's a venue offer and um, there has to be a proviso that wasp can play there and can can have it you know rent it out as we do now actually there is a cross business transaction that wasp pay the arena x amount but it's it's just wooden dollars so that was that has been the proviso up to now the interested parties in the arena at the moment want wasps to be a tenant there anyway so from what i know jensen you know obviously i've, I've been out of it now for 24 hours but unless anything's changed all of the interested parties are very keen on wasps being there anyway and it would, part, it would be part of the deal there's an argument to say you know you could play anywhere and you know i've had a number of people say to me what if Go back to your heartland and why don't you, you know, why don't you do that? And we should never say never. But outside of the noise, Coventry, the city and most of the people, definitely the city council, the county council, Warwickshire County Council, sponsors, local businesses have been nothing but brilliant. You know, we've got such wonderful support around the area. You know, we've now got a, a nice core of support from the West Midlands as well as the kind of homeland and, you know, the, the home counties and, and London, et cetera. 
we've done it once. You know, you can't keep moving and 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 being kind of nomadic and expect to get some roots and, and build a proper organisation. You know, you look at Gloucester or Bath or Leicester or whatever else. Generations and generations of people have been going. We've got to start to. But that takes twenty years, so you can't keep pressing reset. So um, I think it'd be highly unlikely that if wasps, if we can get something into to get the business back up and running in the next few days, uh, it'd be highly unlikely that they'd be playing anywhere other than the CBS arena. Well, Stephen, thank you very much for coming on the show. I uh, really appreciate it and uh, best of luck uh, for your interview. Thank you very much. <laughs> Cheers. Thanks, Stephen. Thanks for being so open, mate. Mate, thanks, mate. Really appreciate it. Top, Top bloke. Very open. Yeah, very open, mm. obviously. And the big thing is, in, in these scenarios, everyone looks at, you know, the owners or this or that, and it's all right for them, whatever. He's made redundant as well. And you can see the passion in him there. You know, I've obviously known Stephen for a few years now, being involved with Wasp, but it's desperately sad for a lot of people. And he's part of that. And he's, you know, he's trying to do what's right by the club in the future. They're obviously in a mess financially, as a lot of clubs are, but it's been exasperated by what's happened over the last few years. And as he said, then Derek Richardson doesn't, hasn't put any money in over the last few years to keep it going. And that's the model that is rugby clubs at the minute. So um, it's difficult, but fair play for him to front up and be honest and, um, you know, talk to us in the way he did. He's a good man. Yeah. I've got a load of time for Stephen Vaughan. And I've also sat on some of my feelings. I put a few tweets out over the the past few days with some interactions. Andy Rowe asked the questions about Saracens and I didn't know whether I was going to give my opinion on all of this now. And Goody, you're closer to us than me, significantly closer, obviously, because you played there, your relationship with Derek Richardson. But the more that I've looked under the bonnet and the stuff that's out there, and look, Stephen clearly didn't want to talk about Derek Richardson. But ultimately, with the discrepancies we've seen in rugby and the scandals, if you want to call it that, of what we've seen in the past with Saracens, what we've spoken about with Worcester, as lay at the door of the owner. And I had to ask about Derek Richardson, but also looking at some of the information that, that's out there now, Rugby Pass published an article, and they spoke about how this £35 million bond came about, why it was £35 million when the stadium was £20 million. Now, it turns out that that £35 million bond, 15 of it, or whatever the number was, and don't quote me, this is alleged, that I, I mean, I've not dug deep enough into it, went off to pay Derek Richardson's loan off, Right. And all of it was a gamble that the value of WASP would go up and the investment and the move to Coventry would go up. Like for me, when I think about scandals, and we keep talking about the Saracens in one, and to lay a kind of fucking exclamation mark at the end of it, all they got done on was overpaying Maro Otoji's image rights account. So that's all we can base it on. And yes, there's whispers and there's talk and there's insight into it being more. All they got done on, right, was Maro Otoji's image rights. We're talking about an owner here, right, that has paid 15 million more pound or ring fenced a bond over what the stadium was worth to pay off his own loans, right? No one's asking any questions of that. And I don't know Derek Richardson. I'm, I, I mean, he's probably a lovely bloke, as is Nigel Ray, as is the Worcester guys aren't. But everyone's pointing at the Worcester owners. This is a fucking disgrace. You're trying to take away the land. Well, clearly, from a business point of view, well, Stephen Vaughan just said it around Derek Richardson. He's going to sell whatever the stadium and the commerciality around that's worth. And the hope is that someone wants the team as well. Well, that's what the Worcester guys have done. They've seen that it's a fucking falling deck of cards. And they're like, right, quickly, let's take out the stadium or the, the land around the stadium. Because commercially, as businessmen, that's where the value is. Isn't that what Derek Richardson's doing? And 
I know that you feel differently about it. I read your article on rugby pass and the, the amount of messages coming back and they're putting blame towards Saracens. Let's be clear again. Saracens got done on an overvaluation of Marutoji's image rights account, which actually turns out to be cheap. We're talking about tens of millions of pounds that has been borrowed, not been paid back, and that has been wrapped around a team with the history that WAS have got. And no one's asking any questions of that. I cannot see how Saracens with an overvaluation of Maratoji's image, image rights, have caught one cause this, but also how anyone, anyone going forward now can even talk about them in the same vein as they talk about what we've seen happen at Wasps and what's happened at Worcester. I cannot see it. I think it is absolutely ridiculous. We're talking about three clubs that are personally and privately owned. Saracens owned by the Ray family, Okay. An over-evaluation of Maratoji's image rights company. Yeah, but Jim, that's not true though, is but it? But that's what they got done I for. understand your point, but the point is governance, because the governance of that is not true either, I don't think, personally. But that's what they've been done on. Yeah, but it, this is the thing, the governance of it and the actual whole truth of the matter. But it, it, the, the Saracens thing is irrelevant now. It, wages got inflated, and every club, as you've said on the podcast, you didn't have to spend the money. Every club didn't have to spend the money that Saracens could afford or a Bristol. Bristol could blow everyone out of the water now if they wanted to. Because Steve Lansdowne is one of the top 10 richest guys in our country. So if he wanted to go and sign the best player in the world in every position and pay him what he wanted to, then he could and get around a salary cap if he wanted to. But he doesn't because of the salary cap and he's abiding by it. So the problem is, every, uh, the model is the problem and the governance. The model of what professional rugby's been, and it's what Stephen Vaughan spoke about, it's always relying on a benefactor. So take Bristol, for example. Steve Lansdowne, something happens to him tomorrow and his legacy isn't intact where his family or whoever take over the club and want to carry on doing what he's doing, they're going to be fucked as well, aren't they? So it's the same in any club. Bruce Craig down at Bath. Everyone says if Bruce Craig all of a sudden woke up tomorrow morning and thought, fuck this, I'm done, I ain't putting any money into it, Bath would be the next ones to fold uh, because it's all about service and the debt that rugby has created by spending more than you make him. And it's a simple plan of economics again every club is reliant on someone servicing the debt someone being able to fill that black hole and you know ultimately everyone's trying to do it in their own different ways the governance is Stephen Vaughan spoke about it then the governance is the owners do what they want and that is the problem how you change that is an NFL style commissioner where you say if you want in the league this is what you have to do you have to show us all your accounts, what your projected revenues are, what your projected spends are, so that we know you're actually a viable business that, and we ain't going to be in this position again. But until that happens, it could be an, another month, London Irish could go, it could be another month, another club could go. Uh, and that's the problem where you get down to five or six clubs and it's a shit league then because it's not competitive, there's not enough rugby and you know the game dies a death because as Stephen Vaughan said, different areas of the country aren't going to have any play, any teams to go and support and, you know, we're then down to five or six teams because they're the five or six richest owners. And that's just shit, isn't it? And the concerning thing is him mentioning the other clubs and this not being the end of it. What other clubs do you think he's talking about that could find themselves in a similar position? Well, I mean, there's obviously, if you, you only have to look at the clubs that don't own their stadium. Mick Crosson said if someone wants to give him a quid or a euro, they can take London Irish off him because he's tired of, you know, of basically funding the debts and... You know, you look at London Irish and Brentford Stadium and it looks brilliant, but they don't own the, the ground, do they? So ultimately, any club that doesn't own their ground, Sale, you know, Simon Orange is a great guy. We've had him on the podcast. They're doing exceptionally well, top of the Prem. Again, they're reliant on 
people funding the club without owning their own stadium and, and having a, a you know an asset there to to fall back on or finance if needed. So I'm not saying these clubs are in trouble. I'm just looking at the business model. And ultimately, you, you look at Premiership Rugby, you look at every club, the big word that's floating around is growth. And there isn't any growth at all anywhere, is there? In terms of fans, in terms of, he said it himself, around the BT Sport deal, commercially. And what the clubs have actually done is taken a fair few million quid from CBC. And now CBC are getting 25 or 20 seven percent of all the revenue where so clubs are actually getting less so there's the there's the panic thing for every club i suppose you, you, you've taken money up front to try and keep yourself alive now how do we grow the game in the future and it's um yeah that's the big issue around it the governance to me is is the key problem well before we get into the urc we've got some good news for our listeners in dublin the lads are heading back over for their yearly visit to cafe on Seine. and they'll be joined by dan levy to preview the Autumn Internationals and sing a few Guinness uh, responsibly. And Blackcurrant. And Blackcurrant for Goody. If you want to head along, just check out Eventbrite or just give Cafe on Seine a shout and book a spot. Well, let's take a look at the URC now then. What are the highlights for you, Jim? Well, headline, the Dragons lost. Oh, mate, I thought you were going to go Graham O'Roundtree gets his biggest win ever as head coach for Monster. They beat the Bulls at home. Big win that for Monster. They did, yeah. I spoke to Stevie Ferris, actually, because I watched a bit of the game, but as we know, I'm away. And then don't have a look at the URC highlights. It doesn't give you any perspective. It shows that Gavin Coombe scored two tries. Therefore, you're thinking, well, he was the best player. Well, he wasn't. Joey Carberry, first start at 10. He got man of the match. And I thought, from what I've seen of Munster, but Stevie Ferris, friend of the show, backed it up. Best performance. And they've still got loads of players to come back. They've got... Chris Farrell to come back. They've got Zebes to come back. They've got Keith Earls to come back. They've got Conway to come back. Um, they've got Snyman to come back. Andrew Conway, my holiday friend. Oh, yeah, he is. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, of course he is. Talking of holidays, big shout out to Jerry Sexton, Johnny Sexton's brother. I was with him last week having a beer. Anyway, uh, completely random, but when we're talking about Irish teams, we may as well talk about him. But yeah, Thomas O'Hearn, big shout out to him. He came off the bench and absolutely carved up against the poor Bulls team, really. You've got to call it how it was with them. One-dimensional, physical, but Munster at home. Peter O'Mahony, captain the team. And yeah, it's, like you said, Goody, there were 24 points to three up, but that's a massive win for Wig. Wig's Philly still for me. Jim, what do you mean since Jake White signed a seven-year contract or whatever he signed, they haven't won a game? Why have you been so horrible? If that that's the facts, maybe that's the reason, Goody. I don't know the psyche. I don't go into the psychology of teams anymore. I just literally call it from the sidelines and talk shite. Well, let's talk about shite. Let's talk about Glasgow, eh? Getting absolutely spanked by my Sharks. Well, you say spanked. I mean, look at the Sharks. Basically, they had Ebenezer Beth. It was the Ebenezer Beth show. Man of the match. Of course it was. The size of the human. They had him and basically, I'm not, well, I can't be horrible to Richie Gray because he has done what he'd done. But they were the two marketing players ahead of the game and all I'm saying is tell them about that my goodness me carving up and it's good to see because I would say sorry John Dobson we didn't win it last year sorry John Dobson that the Sharks are my team as well big shout out to Marco Masotti the owner and my good friend Ebenezer so it was all about the Sharks and not Glasgow but there Glasgow are up and down this year just win your own games lads talking to John Dobson now we know the Dragons didn't win the Ospreys didn't win but they drew they drew against the Stormers. John Dobson, our team. So maybe it's the resurgence of the Welsh teams. Why are you being horrible, Goody? We do like the Welsh teams. We love Dan Bigger. He's, he's Northampton. Yeah, tell the rain that in Swansea. Uh, that's why the Stormers only drew. But Scarlet's won. They beat Zebra. End of story. Wales are back. Right, let's finish things off then with the good, the bad and the ugly. 
Yeah, loads of good again this week. Ulster get a massive shout out. They beat the Lions in Joburg 39-37 to get their first win on South African soil. Talking about South Africans, the Sharks and big Eben Etzebeth making his debut for the Sharks at the weekend. They destroyed Glasgow 40 points to 12. Tell the scrums that. Unbelievable. Let's shoot over to the top 14 then. Uh, Leon got a victory. They won 33-26 away at the Champions of Montpellier. So a big shout out to those boys. Stade Francais. Get a mention the good this week. They've been in the bad plenty of times over the last few years, but they got a victory down at Poo. I mean Poe. And it was a clutch kick by Yoris Zegons, who came off the bench to win the game. Last kick of the game, he converted Harry Glover's try. Harry Glover of England Sevens fame. Uh, he scored a pretty good try to pull them level. Uh, so big shout out to Stade Francais. Over to the Premiership. Tigers get a mention. Of course they do. They dominated Quinns down at the Stoop on Sunday. Matteo Carreras scored a wonder try as well for the Falcons. He gets another shout out in the good in their loss, close loss actually, down at Saints. So a uh, big shout out to Matteo Carreras again. Saracens get a mention in the good. Played 7-1-7 in all games this year. Wasn't their best performance against Bath, but they're unbeaten, so they continue in the good. On that note, talking about good, Sale played 7-1-7 as well. They beat London Irish at the weekend, so uh, big shout out to the Sale boys. Gloucester get a mention for their pulsating West Country derby victory, 31-28 over Bristol's. It's only their fourth game of the season. They've now played for 1-3, so big shout out to the Gloucester boys. Ollie Lawrence gets a shout out in defeat, actually. He was outstanding for Bath. Eight carries, 173 metres, 10 defenders beaten, and two try assists. But none of that wins the good, because the good this week goes to Munster and my good friend Graham O'Rountree. It was a huge win for them against the Bulls in Munster. Fantastic to see them get the victory. Graham O'Rountree, pressure off now. Gavin Coombe's got two tries. So Munster and Graham O'Rountree, they're going to get the good this week. The bad. A few bits of bad this week. Mark Atkinson. Unfortunately, he's going to miss the whole season with the knee injury he picked up at Bath last week. That news came out this week. So thoughts with Mark Atkinson, pretty bad news there. Breve are going to get a mention in the bad this week, my old club. Uh, they lost 45 points to seven at home to Toulouse. And unfortunately, it's cost Jeremy Davidson his job. He's been relieved of his duties after the game. So uh, sad times at Breve. Montpellier get a mention in the bad as well. They lost at home to Lyon 33-26. Uh, not good scenes for the champions. Connacht, they got nilled at home. Absolutely epic game at the sports ground. 10 nil they lost to Leinster. Um, so they get a mention in the bad for that. Harlequins, they're getting a mention in the bad. They were pretty poor at home against Leicester on Saturday. Marcus Smith looked looked a bit undercooked. He, he wasn't electric. He wasn't going to the line, but Leicester's defence and breakdown was pretty good. Benetton are going to get a mention in the bad this week. Ever since Jim Hamilton's gone there, they just haven't been good. Second half, they conceded 41 points against Edinburgh in their 53 points to eight defeat. Glasgow, sticking in Scotland, they get a mention. They're in South Africa, but they're Scottish. They get a mention in the bad. 40 points to 12, defeat by the Sharks. But unfortunately, the bad this week goes to my old club, Wasps. Uh, they've gone into administration. 167 employees have been made redundant. Very sad times for the rugby club. Um, so it's bad news all around. So unfortunately, Wasps are going to get the bad this week. The ugly, couple of bits of ugly really. A nasty looking injury to Tyrone Green on Sunday for Harlequins. That looked pretty ugly to his knee and ankle. Hopefully he has a speedy recovery. Two other bits of ugly to finish with. Chandler Cunningham South's crock roll on Acker van der Merwe. 
it wasn't looked at by the referee, but crop rolls have been banned. And uh, unfortunately, Aka van der Merwe looks like he's picked up a serious knee injury off the back of it. But the ugly this week goes to Sam Lousy uh, of the Scarlets. He loves a red card. He had a shoulder to the head of the absolutely brilliantly named Geronimo Priscientelli of Zebra. So uh, no shoulders to the head, my friend Sam Lousy. That's why you get the ugly this week. Thanks, Goody. And you guys have got a couple of shout-outs to finish off with, don't you? Yeah, we have. We've got a few good ones today. Firstly, I'm going to start for Ed Slater, hashtag 4Ed. The lad's down under Goody. So Sam Harrison, do you remember him who got branded at Leicester, the scrum half? Yeah. Well, he's down in Australia now. And I don't know if you've been following it on social media, but they've been tagging the riders that are going to be doing what I thought would have been significantly easier than what we've done. Then it turns out they're doing 1,000 kilometres in five days. Oh my goodness me. <laughs> Ridiculous. Tell the spiders that and tell the eat that. It's four down under four Ed, and it's on Monday the twenty fourth, Byron Bay, one thousand kilometers, and they finish at Eastern Suburbs Rugby Club on Saturday the twenty ninth. So that's a thousand kilometers in five days. There's gonna be an auction on the day, they're raffling off prizes to raise more funds for Ed and his family. The team riders include Jeff Parlin. Oh, Jeff Parlin. I'll probably get Struck off for that because it was that close to the song. James Hansen, Ollie Atkins, and there's a load more. Absolute legend. So big shout out to you guys. Hashtag 4Ed and uh, follow them on social media. Legends. Yeah, huge good luck, boys. Talking about ex-players, Jim, big shout out to the Barbarians and Saints. Who Barbarians are going to play Saints on the 26th of November at Northampton. Obviously, that was the fixture that Saints were going to be playing against Worcester Warriors, who we know now aren't going to be playing that game. So the Barbars have stepped in. There are rumours that Tom Wood is going to relace the boots and Luther Burrell are going to relace up the boots for the Barbars against Saints. Uh, Barbars could step in this year and play a few games. They're playing Quinns as well with all the problems in the Premiership. So have a look at the Saints website. Some decent price tickets. Bring the family along. Should be a great day out. And they're playing Bath as well as Quinns. Yeah, big shout out to the Barbarians, my ex-team. So last shout out from me and it's going to a lad called Alfie Adams. He plays over in America, in Connecticut. Uh, and he was playing for his under-14s team, Greenwich Rugby Club, based in Old Greenwich in Connecticut, USA. And he broke his arm, making a try-saving tackle at the weekend. So he's a big listener of the show. So as he rests up, he's going to go through the archives, maybe not all the way back to the Rabbit Stories and the Filthy 15 and Jim's, through Jim's eye, also known as Jim's. Yeah, we were not going to talk it because you're only 14 or maybe 13, Alfie. But big shout out to you. Rest up, big fella. Yeah, good luck, Alfie. Uh, and a massive well done to Mike Spearing, who on Saturday climbed the equivalent of Everest, Mount Everest, twice on a Versa climber. He's in his mid-50s and spent just over 10 hours doing the challenge to raise money for his mate, Mark Monks, from Keensham Rugby Club, who recently suffered a stroke. Uh, so well done, Mike. That's a hell of an effort. Yeah, good on you, Mike. And I've got a final shout out, and it's to Matt Williams, not the former Scotland coach. He was an absolute cowboy by all accounts. But it's from his twin brother. It's Matt Stagdu this weekend, 22nd to the 24th of October, in case you want to join them. Maybe that's why they've given us the date. And they're going to Dublin to watch Leinster versus Munster on Saturday. They were born in Leicester, and they're massive Tigers fans, didn't they, Lart? And they both teach at John Taylor High School. Matt organised all the school rugby and also a Staffordshire society i don't know why all that detail's in there but we're giving you a shout out anyway but the reason is we're giving them a shout out mainly it's because they bought a pre-order of the moreland brawl so you deserve a shout out enjoy it good luck with the wedding and to Haley, matt and more importantly enjoy dublin 
Thanks, Gertie. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, producer Rob. And congratulations to producer Tristan, who got married in the weekend. And thank you very much for listening. Don't forget to check us out on YouTube and make sure you're subscribed on Spotify. Rugby Spa-ha-hod. Spot-a-pod, pod, 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 pod. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now.